0: Thank you, musicians. You guys have had a long day, man. And uh, I appreciate what you do, especially the guy on the bass. He's been at everything. I, I'm telling you. He's at a men's meeting last night. And he seems to keep that whole energy thing going, too. That I mean, I thought by tonight it'd be more like... He's just did everything. You guys have a great church here. When you see a child grow up, you don't notice how big it gets. When you go away for a year and you come back, man, I can't tell you how good of a position this place is in, man. I mean, look around tonight, I mean, this place is packed, and and, and it was packed this morning, and and this thing is moving forward. You guys have great leadership here. And, and, be, and beyond that, I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm an expert in pastors. I can tell you, you, you have one of the great pastoral staffs here in the world. And you have the, one of the top five senior pastors in the world right here in Hastings. Yes, you do. Absolutely. It's been my honor to be with you all week. And um, I hope you've been blessed by it. And for the, how many of you are here for the seminar? You're here for the seminars in the midweek. Okay, all right. we're, we're just Joe and Jane. Right, we're just Joe and Jane. We're not, we can't be addicted to being right, that at the end of the day, we're just four-dimensional people trying to make sense of an infinitely dimensional God. It's not about being right. God has not called us to be right. God has called us to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. He's called us to show the whole world what He looks like. We're just Joe and Jane. So you turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Um, while you're turning there, um, I've, I've been talking about our table, and let me just say a couple things about this stuff. Um, this, I've had the opportunity to be mentored by a rabbi for the last eight years. There's some stuff back there that will revolutionize how you look at God. And um, I, I live, com- like Dave said, I live completely by faith, completely by faith. I make no demands on any of these guys. Um, I obviously, I mean, my plane ticket this trip was 7800 U.S. dollars. I don't know what that is in New Zealand dollars, uh, a really a whole lot, 14000 something like that. And so, um, you know, I, I, live, I live completely by faith, completely by faith. So what, whatever just came in, that's what I have to live on for the week. And uh, I appreciate your generosity. I appreciate you understanding that. And uh, I know in a church this size... Uh, The offerings uh, normally take care of things, and so um, what we use our product table for, any profit from it goes to help us go to nations that can't afford it, specifically in Africa. We have some ministries there with HIV-AIDS clinics and orphanages, and that's 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 where we use it for. So listen to what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to stop by there on your way out tonight. Um, I I try to honor people's time. I'm not going to keep you here all night or anything. If you just take five minutes, stop by on your way out, and allow me to put something in your hands that will revolutionize the way you look at God. And and you put something into our hands that helps us feed people that can't feed themselves. It's a pretty good trade. And, uh, so we have so much back there. A lot of people ask me, what are they about? And you can't talk about all of them at one time. So let me just give you a quick overview of some of them. This is something I did not have last time. We took orders for it, but um, I think we, I think like nine of you bought it last time uh, in order form. We didn't have this. This is a, an all-day seminar called Your Part in God's Biggest Idea. It examines the origins of the church and God's big plan to multiply himself to the whole world and how you fit into it. It's all day on that kind of thing. It will, it will change the way you look at God. Um, There's something back there called the exchanged life. Uh, This is my exegesis of the book of Colossians. And it also covers the Hebraic concept of covenant. I actually go through a covenant step by step in there. And you would learn a lot about your walk with God with that. Uh, There's one called phases in the master plan. We've just retitled this. We're calling it journey to wholeness. Um, it's a four-part series on the Hebraic concept of ehad, which is uh, unity inside diversity. Um, it, the Bible says that God is ehad, um, that he is, he is one, but he is diverse, and that you're made in the image of God. So it just stands to reason that if God is ehad, and you're made in the image of God, you'll find wholeness in a pursuit of unity. And so it talks about four CDs on the Hebraic concept of unity from a rabbi's perspective. And then here's one but I don't talk about much, but um, it's, it's very important. Um, a, a lot of people, if, if you've ever wondered, if you haven't ever wondered this, then this is not for you, but if you've ever wondered this, where did we get the Bible from? Um, like th- this book you hold in your hand that we call the Word of God, like who decided what was in and What was out and who decided it was God's word and who decided that that which books were in and which books were out and how did it all get put together and what makes us right and them wrong and I mean all kinds of stuff like what, 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 what makes it the word of God. So this is a four CD series on it. It's called Why Believe. It's on how we got the Bible and what makes it reliable. And what I do is, is I put the Bible up against other historical documents and show how they do the testing on it and all of that kind of stuff. It's a very academic series. But if you're wired that way and you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's back there for you, okay? And once again, um, all it will do, it will revolutionize the way that you look at God, and it also allows us to put food in people's bellies that can't feed themselves otherwise. So please come by and say hello. All right, Exodus chapter 20. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments um, I only got through five of them. This is the fifth, and uh, so there's obviously five more. If you want a full discussion on it, it's back there. Well, I'm lying to you. We sold out of it. So um, so we're taking orders. We've already got a box coming. So if you just come and say, I'd like to order the Ten Commandments, we'll take your name, we'll take your number, we'll take your money, and I will send the box, and then it will come. It'll be put in the mail tomorrow. It'll be here Thursday or Friday, and uh, the lovely and talented uh, barrel will... Um, We'll, we'll deliver that to you, absolutely, absolutely. So um, so you can just step back there. Okay, if it's in the Ten Commandments, let me just put the context on it again. The Ten Commandments is about a group of people that have been slaves for 430 years. 430 years, all they knew was slavery. And God is trying to do a lot of things. And and if you've missed, if this is your first meeting, you've you've missed some, you're going to need to get the CDs. But God's trying to do a lot of things. And the primary thing he's trying to do is he's trying to create a marriage relationship with a group of people who've been slaves for 430 years. The Jewish people don't see the Ten Commandments as Ten Commandments. They see it as a ten-word ketubah. It was a marriage proposal. It was God taking this group of people and he's trying to create the best culture on earth. He's trying to create a culture that will show the world what God looks like. And it's going to be so awesome. It's going to be so great. The whole world's going to want in on it. Okay? And he's trying to teach these people to be human again. He's trying to teach these people what would it be like to live in a culture where you have to respect the dignity and the image of God in every other person. What would that be like? What would it be like to live in a culture that perpetuates godliness by honoring their father and mother? What would it be like to to live in a culture where where God does not exist in boxes? That that God actually is everywhere. He's spirit. You can't can't locate him in a place. What, What would it be like to live in a culture where you can't kill people just because you can? You can't steal from people just because you can. God is trying to create the greatest culture on earth. He is not trying to make a group of people good. That is not his point. His point is he's trying to make a group of people free. That is his point. And with that, with that context, this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, anyone who takes his name in vain. So, so in the context of creating this incredible culture... In the context of creating a marriage between a group of slaves and God. In the context of creating the greatest culture in the world that everybody's going to want in on. The third thing he says is, he says, hey, wait a listen. Do not take my name in vain. When you put that in a marriage context, we could say it this way. Because remember, this thing was a marriage. When you marry somebody, you get the right to use their name. In essence, what God is saying is, is don't sign checks I wouldn't sign. Don't put my name on things that I wouldn't put my name on. We, we, we primarily make this a language issue. When I was taught this command in Sunday school, every, in, in Sunday school we teach the Ten Commandments. And, 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 and whoever teaches the Ten Commandments here, listen, I mean, no disrespect to you if you taught it this way, I'm sure that you meant well. But when we make it a language issue, we miss the entire point. We, we, we make it a language issue. In, in other words, we make it about, we, it's like saying, don't ever say, oh my God. As if God is God's name. Let me just clear something up real quick. God is not God's name. God is God's title. And actually the English word God actually has pagan in its origins. Okay? Every word in the English language is pagan. Monday was a, was, was a day to honor the moon god. Thursday was the day to honor the god Thor. Saturday was the day to honor the god Saturn. Sunday was the day to honor the sun god. Okay? So, so don't, don't get caught up in language issues. Don't get caught up in that kind of stuff because if, if you were to wipe out, if you say, I'm not going to say any word that has pagan in its origins, you would lose your entire language. The English language has entire languages based in, in pagan origins. Even the way we get swear words. Swear words, were, 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 are, are, they come about by whoever won the war. The, the, the words became dirty even in Jesus' day. By Jesus' day, the Aramaic words were dirty. Why? Because the other people won the war. Okay? So they make the other language dirty. This happens in, in Serbia and Croatia. It, it happened um, the, the way in English, the way we get our swear words actually comes from William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror and the Normans attacked the Saxons back in the 1300s. And, and, and you have to have words for certain things. And, and like the, and William the Conqueror won the war. And like William the Conqueror, the, 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 the Norman word for um, sexuality was fornication. The Saxon word was another word. Starts with an F. The, 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 the Norman word uh, for, for, for something like going to the bathroom was, was poop or, or crap. The, the, the Saxon word was something entirely different. Okay, so when, so when the Normans beat the Saxons, their words became clean and the Saxon words became swear words. That's all that happened. You realize if the Saxons won the war, for me to say fornicate from the stage, people would go, whoa! As it is now, it's not the case. But so, so it's never a language issue. It's never a language issue. That's why Jesus was shocking people when he'd say, If you say to your brother, Raka, do you realize that he was, he was swearing? He was, in, their, in their culture, he was using a dirty word. He was using a dirty word, and, and people were going, ah. And, and his whole point was, you guys are making it all about language. I'm not concerned with what comes out of your mouth. I'm concerned with what's going into your heart that defiles a person. It, it's, it's not a language issue. It, it, it's not like saying, oh, my God, or, 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 or something. Although those things are probably distasteful, and we probably shouldn't do them. Even that's irrelevant. The point is, is that this has nothing to do with language, that, that, that taking God's name in vain has nothing to do with language. It is far bigger than that. There's three main words in this command. Let me give them to you. Three main words in this command. The first word is NASA. NASA. N A S A H. NASA. It's translated to take. And it means to either carry or to take. The context is not to say it at all. Even the, the meaning of the word doesn't mean to say it. It means to pick it up. In other words, to carry something or to take it. Don't pick up the name of God in vain. That's Nasa. To, to, to don't, don't carry around. And, and, and the picture is, is, that, is that when you call the name of Christ, when, when you wear a what would Jesus do bracelet, when you wear a cross around your neck, when you put a fish on your car, when, when you put but some sort of Christian t shirt, when you identify yourself with Bay City Outreach Center, when, when you identify yourself as a Christian, it's bigger than just going to heaven one day. You're actually picking up and carrying the name of God around with you. He says, don't take the name in vain. The, the, the other word is name, the word, that is Shem, Shem. It, it, means, it just means name. So, so he says, don't pick up and carry the name of God in vain. Now, now the word in vain is the word Sha'uv, S-H-A-W-V, Sha'uv, S-H-A-W-V. So you have Nasa, which means to carry. You have Sha'uv, which is, uh, which is translated in vain, and you've got um, Shem, which is name. Sha'uv is translated in vain. Now, let me give you a word, real quick, about translation. The translator's primary job is to make the verse readable. Its primary job is to make the verse readable. There is no way that they could translate the actual literal meanings of the words in order because because it would make it unreadable. The primary job of a translator is to make it readable. Let me give you the full Hebrew dictionary definition of the word sha'uv. It's translated in vain. That makes it readable. But this is the full dictionary definition. Anything that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. Anything that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. So, so, so let, let me just give you the full exegesis of this scripture. He's saying if you want to have the best life, the culture that everybody is going in on, here, here's what I want you to remember. Do not carry my name in such a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. Actually carry my name in a way that manifests the hope that rests upon it. That that when you're living your life, when you identify yourself with Christ, there's two ways you can live. You can live your life in a way that manifests the hope that rests upon it, or you can live your life in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. Let me just say this a few different ways, and you pick up the one that speaks to you. Uh, Okay, so let me just restate this command in a couple of Shane Willard paraphrases. Number one, do not use my name for things that I would not use it for. Don't, don't put my name on things I wouldn't put it on. Don't sign checks I wouldn't sign. How about this one? Be a cooperator with God, not a manipulator of him. Be a cooperator with God. I mean, how many of us, I've been guilty of this. I confess this before men. I ask for forgiveness. I've done this. I did, there's times I've done it on purpose, which is really bad. There's, but I had to mature past that. There's times that, that, that I've done it on accident and I didn't mean to. But all of us at some point have done this, where we use God's name to accomplish our own purpose. We have an idea. We really believe it's a good idea. We're not confident enough to sell the idea. So this is what we say, God told me. God told me. And and, and, you know, when you hear somebody say, God told me all the time. God told me. God told me. Normally, it's someone who's not confident enough to take responsibility for their own feelings. And that's using the name of God in vain. Cooperate with God. Don't manipulate him. Let's say it this way. Do not take my name and then do things that are incompatible with who I am. Do, don't take my name and then do things that are incompatible with who I am. The, the name of God is defined a lot of different ways. We're going to talk about that in the rest of, the, of tonight. But, but the primary definition of the name of God to the Hebrew people is found in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And it says this, He is the Lord, the Lord. He is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, Slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. If you don't remember anything from tonight, remember that. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. When you take the name of God, you are called to show the world what God looks like. Let me tell you what that is not. That is not being doctrinally right. None of us are doctrinally right. We're just Joe and Jane trying to make sense of an infinitely dimensional God. It is not being the moral police for the whole world. You are not called to tell the whole world who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out, who's in heaven, who's in hell. You're not called to do any of that. What we are called to do is to carry the name, which means we are to act compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. In the first century, they called it the disposition of Messiah. The disposition of Messiah. It was the primary test of ministry, particularly the prophetic. If someone gave a prophetic word in the first century, they would test the prophecy. And the first question about the prophecy was not, is it right or wrong? The first question about the prophecy was, was it delivered in a manner consistent with the disposition of Messiah? In other words, was it delivered in a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness way? In in other words, what was the tone of the prophecy? Let Let me say it this way. You can be right but be wrong at the top of your voice. So are we carrying the name in vain? Or are we carrying it in a way where the world around us would look at our lives and say they are compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness? Let let me pose it as a question. Is it possible to never swear with your tongue, yet be swearing with your whole life? Is it possible that you would never say a swear word with your mouth, but yet your whole life is actually profaning the name of God? That, that you're supposed to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So when you're critical, when you gossip, when you slander, when you lose your temper, when you go off at someone, when you're mean, when, when, when you're judgmental, when these kind of things happen, you understand that that is just as much swearing as any other swear word in the book. That 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 is using God's name in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it instead of a way that manifests it. Let let me say it one more way. Don't be people who carry my name and yet live however you want. In in other words, don't be people who carry the name and then overlook the poor. Don't, Don't carry my name and then lose your temper. Don't carry the name and then not forgive people. Don't carry the name and then gossip and slander and drag other people down. Don't carry the name and be judgmental. The only way to carry the name of God in a way that manifests the hope that rests upon it is to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. Now, now then then the the other question is this. Is Not only what does it mean, do not carry the name in a way that manifests, that that disappoints the hope that rests upon it, but I want to spend the rest of the night talking about the last word, which is name. How did the Hebrew people understand the concept of God's name? How did they understand the concept of God's name? Because it's different than our name. And and I'm going to show it to you. And what I want to do, I I noticed on the screen there that there was a scripture that popped up. And and so I'm going to ask the guy, I gave him no heads up, I'm just going to ask him to to, 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 uh, to buckle down and stretch his fingers. And and I want to take you on a journey in scripture. I want to show you how the Hebrew people understood the revelation of God's name. That, that God's name was not revealed all at once, nor could it be. And, and likely, we only have this much of the revelation now. All we have is the full revelation that was given in the Bible. I mean, obviously, the Bible was limited to the language of men. God's infinite. There's so many aspects to it. All we can do is what we know. But the Hebrew people during this, and the first thing I want you to understand is this, is that the Hebrew people saw the name of God as a prophetic utterance of character. That God's name was more about who he was than what you called him. That, that, that in Hebrew culture, it was all about a prophetic utterance of character. When people's name changed, their character changed. When, when Simon became solid, they called him, they, they moved his name from Simon to Peter. God changed uh, Saul's name to Paul. He changed Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's name to Sarah. When, when there was a fundamental change in their character, God changed their name. So, so what was the first name that God revealed himself as in the Bible? The first name he revealed himself as was to Abraham, and he said, my name is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Now, I talked a little bit about this during the seminar, but we need to rehash this because you need to understand this. He says, he says Abraham, I, I want to make a covenant with you. My name is El Shaddai. That means God Almighty. And that made sense. Abraham worshiped the sun god during the day and the moon god at night. Well, when you worship the sun during the day and the moon at night, you're left with a fundamental question. Who's in charge? So God shows up and meets his need. He says, let me tell you who's in charge. I'm in charge, man. I am El Shaddai. I choose you, Abraham. I want you to go. So Abraham goes. Abraham has a child. His name's Isaac. Isaac would have said, dad, who are we in covenant with? We're in covenant with El Shaddai. Isaac has a child named Jacob. Dad, who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. Jacob has 12 children. Dad, who are we in covenant with? El Shaddai. Those 12 children have 12 children. El Shaddai. Those 144 children have 12 children. El Shaddai. Those lots of children have children. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. 430 years. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. They become somewhere between 3 and 4 million people in Egypt. And their God was El Shaddai. One day, God chooses to reveal himself to a guy named Moses. Moses. And Moses says, what is your name? And God says, my name is Jehovah. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses' response was understandable. No way. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is El Shaddai. And and God says this in Exodus chapter 6. I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. But by my name, Jehovah, they didn't know me. So God begins to expand the revelation of his name. Now he's not only El Shaddai, God Almighty, he's Jehovah. Jehovah what? Just Jehovah. Later he says, I'm Jehovah Rapha. In other words, I'm a healer. He he later says, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. He says, I'm Jehovah Sidkenu, I'm your righteousness. Jehovah Mikadesh, I'm your sanctification. Jehovah Shema, I'm the ever-present one. I don't leave or ever forsake. Jehovah Shalom, I'm God, your peace. Jehovah Rohi, I'm the the Lord, your shepherd. Jehovah Nisi. and 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 he reveals himself over time, over and over and over again to a group of people until the concept of God's name got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Until the New Testament says that God gave Jesus a name that was above every other name whether that name be written in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. In other words, Jesus Christ lived in the flesh, the encapsulation of everything the name of God was. So it was a prophetic utterance of character. It was less about title and more about a description of who a person was. That was name. So that was number one. Number two. In the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 20. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start in Exodus and I'm going to end up in 1 Peter. All right, and we're going to look at a lot of things in between as their understanding of the name expanded. In Exodus 23, verse 20, it says this Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Verse 21. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. My name is in him. So so as they understood the name as a prophetic utterance of character, their understanding expanded to now, wait a minute, the name of God can actually rest on a person. That actually the name of God can float around and it can rest on a person. It can come on me. It could come on you now. It could come on you. And and, I don't want you to lose track of the context here. That when the name of God comes on you, what is actually coming on you? Compassion. Grace. Grace. Slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. What else is coming on you? Whatever you need in the name at the time. If you need healing, Jehovah Rapha comes on you. If you need provision, Jehovah Jireh comes on you. If you need peace in your heart, Jehovah Shalom comes on you. That the name of God can actually rest on a person. It can actually rest on a person. Now, their next understanding came from Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. This revelation of the name of God actually got bigger. It actually began to expand some more. And this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy 12, verse 11. It says this, Then there shall be a place which Jehovah your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell. So so now, not only can the name of God exist on a person... But the name of God can actually come into a place that, that, that not only can, that can the name of God rest on you, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God, not only can it rest on you, but it can actually make this place a dwelling place. And how many of us agree we should make this our prayer? God, let Bay City Outreach Center be a dwelling place for your name. What would happen in the city of Hastings? If, if, if this church was known as a dwelling place for the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God, what would happen around Hastings if the reputation of this place became people get healed there, people get fed there, people get peace there? I have a friend who went in there, and her mind was all chaotic, and she left, and now her heart is full of peace. What would happen to this place? If it became a dwelling place for the name, what would happen to this place when this place becomes fully devoted. What would happen to this place if, if we individually, the name of God rested on all of us, and all of a sudden we become a place, and, and it's a specific place that God chooses to make his name dwell, that manifests the name of God instead of disappointing the hope that rests upon it. One of the reasons the church in, in general has lost its credibility is because we made it all about getting to heaven one day. It's all about getting saved and Get to heaven one day, and we forgot our basic mission to bring heaven to earth. We forgot our basic mission to carry the name of God well. What would happen? So, so the name could, dress, could, could sit on a person. The name then could be in a specific place. Their next understanding of it, what was found in the book of Psalms, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Psalm, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And and the writer of the psalm is reflecting on God, and and he makes an interesting observation about God. And this is what he says. May Jehovah hear you in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob set you on high, sending you help from the sanctuary. So now their, their concept of this started to expand. And not only could, could it rest on a person, not only was it a prophetic utterance of character, not only could it sit in a place, but now the name of God could actually be a force that provides protection. It could be a force that provides protection. That when the enemy comes against you like a flood, the name of God is what sets you on fire, that nothing can touch you. That no weapon formed against you can prosper. The name of God is setting you on high. That, that when you carry the name of God, the responsibility on you is to carry it well. To carry it in a way that manifests the hope that rests upon it to everyone you know. That's our job. But God's job is when we're carrying the name of God. Is to make sure that when the enemy comes against us like a flood. He lifts us up on high. That the name of God actually has the power to protect you from anything coming against you. That was their understanding. And and then this understanding grew even more. In Isaiah chapter 30 verse 27. Isaiah chapter 30. Verse 27, the prophet is expanding the definition of the name of God. And he says this, Behold, the name of Jehovah comes from afar, burning with anger and uplifting of smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue like a devouring fire. So, So Isaiah expands the abilities of the name to now... Now, the name of God can not only rest on a person, the name of God can not only rest on a place, it can not only provide protection, but the name of God actually has the ability to move with emotion. That there's an emotion in the name of God that can move, that starts to separate it from anything our name can do. Can you imagine somebody saying, the name of Shane moved through the place with fiery emotion? No, no, no that their concept of the name had to do what what with what happens when the name of God shows up in a place. In other words, when the name of God chooses to make this place a dwelling place, it should fire up our emotions inside. It should change the way we feel. It shouldn't just change the way we think, although that is big time. It should change the way we think, but it should manifest itself in a difference in thinking to the point where it changes how we feel, that we should feel the truth of the name of God. That that, that, that How crazy is it that for us to believe with all of our heart the doctrine of forgiveness: We believe that we've been forgiven of every single sin, yet we feel guilty. So we believe we're innocent, but we feel guilty. That makes no sense. No, no, no. When the name of God comes into a thing, it changes the emotion in a place. It fires a place up. So the name of God started to expand. And, and, and it wasn't just a prophetic utter, it's a character. Everything that was in this character could actually rest on you. It could rest on a place. It could provide protection. It could move with emotion. The, the, the next thing they understood, and this is really when it starts to, 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 to click, is in the book of Micah. In the book of Micah, chapter 4, verse 5. Micah is a, is a later prophet in the Old Testament. And he touches on something about the name of God that no one before him had discovered. As a matter of fact, if if the people in Micah's day would have thought they had figured it all out, they would have called him a false prophet for saying this. But they allowed people to journey with God. And this is what the prophet Micah says. Micah chapter 4 verse 5. For all the people will walk, each one in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of Jehovah our God. Forever and ever. So, so Micah says, the name of God is not just something that rests on someone. It's not just something that, uh, that, that can be in a place. It's not just something that protects. It's not, it's not just something that can move with emotion. The name of God is a realm that can be lived in or lived out. That, that, that actually, everything you do and everything you say is in the name of Something. That everything you do and everything you say is in the name of something. It's a realm of awareness that we can live in or outside of. You're either in the name or you're outside of the name. And my question is this, what dominates your awareness? Whatever dominates your awareness is the name you're living in. You are meant to minister the name of God. We are called to minister the name of God. And I would suggest to you that you're ministering the name of whatever you're aware of. Let me prove it to you. <clears throat> how many of you, I'll talk to you wives for a second, how many of you wives, I'll pick on the husbands in a second too, it's fine, I don't want to turn you women against me, there's more of you than, yeah. but you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying here, how many of you wives have ever been on your way home, and, and, and you got mad at your husband, so you're on your way home, one person's honest, that's very good, you're on your way home, you got a 20-minute ride home, and you're mad with your husband, What's going on in that car? It's just you in the car. What's going on in the car? Imaginary conversation. Exactly. Your imagination's going, oh, man. We love imaginary conversations. We love them. We love it. Come on, am I the only one that likes a good imaginary conversation? I mean, hello, you out there. Like, we love imaginary conversations, and you should. We love imaginary conversations, and do you know why? Because you never lose, never, never. In an imaginary conversation, you always win. And let me help you. If you're having imaginary conversations and you're losing, get your head checked, man. It's your imagination. You can win. So 20 minutes home, oh, you're letting him have it. Oh, yeah, you're letting him have it. And he's cowering in the corner somewhere. Oh, yeah. And then there's a group of people when you get home and they're all taking your side. Yeah. And you walk in and all you're aware of is your anger. And when you walk in that house, I promise you, you minister your anger through the whole house. You walk in, your husband says, what's the matter with you? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Do you have any trouble ministering the name of anger? No. If you were angry with me, you could let me know without saying one word. Why? Because you're a minister of the name. You're a minister of the name. You can minister depression. Anybody besides me ever had a good successful depression? It's fantastic. <laughs> It's fantastic. You can make your face look sad. You can sit off all by yourself. You can cross your arms. People will notice they come over. What's the matter? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Why? Because you can minister depression. You can minister insecurity. You can minister in the name of insecurity. You can minister in the name of rejection. You can minister in the name of abandonment. Or you can minister in the name of the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. My question to you is this. What is the name of your God? What is the name of the God that you walk in? Each of us will walk in the name of something. What is the name of the one you're walking in? If I understand this correctly, this is what God's saying. Don't say you walk in my name and then walk in the name of something else. That disappoints the hope that rests upon it. If you walk in my name, then be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Manifest the hope that rests upon it. So they understood it as a realm that could be lived in. The next understanding comes from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, This is now it transitions to the New Testament. And John chapter 20, and this is what the writer writes. John chapter 20 verse 31 John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So now the name even expands even further, and the name is a force that brings about the best life. That actually, it takes Micah's sort of revelation, that the name is something of an awareness that you can walk in, Or you can walk out of. And it takes that revelation. It says, listen, if you live your life completely aware of the name of God, it brings about the best life. So it's a a force that brings about the best life. The next revelation is found in the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 verse 40 and 41. Acts chapter 5 verse 40 and 41. And it says, and they obeyed him. And calling the apostles, they beat them. They commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Once again, this is a reference back to Micah. It's it's not saying, listen, in the name of Jesus has nothing to do with saying in the name of Jesus. It has to do with being in the name of Jesus. That what they were speaking was actually ministering out of a realm of awareness, Micah chapter 4 verse 5, that they were in the name. They were in the name. Acts chapter 5, verse 40, it says, they Speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then Acts 5, 41, Then indeed they departed from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be shamed for his name. So in other words, now the name creates a life. In John 20, the name creates the best life. In Acts chapter 5, they realize that the name creates a life that is so good, it's worth dying for. It's worth suffering for. It's interesting that, that it doesn't say they were, they were tormented for God, that they were punished for God. It does not say they were shamed for God. It says they were shamed for his name. This is a concept that's not true of other people. Your name does not travel on its own. Your name does not have power that people walk in and out of. Your name, no one will ever be beaten in the name of shame. No one. No one. People are beaten because they made a decision to live a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness life, and that the demonstration of that life is so powerful, it threatens other people. It, it doesn't, they're not shamed because they were shoving religion down people's throat. They weren't shamed because they were thumping their Bible saying, we're in, you're out. They weren't shamed because they were saying, we're right, you're wrong. They weren't shamed because they were handing out tracts that don't make no sense. They weren't shamed for any of that. They were shamed for living a life that was, that was worthy to be called of the name and that the power in that life was drawing people to itself. In the same book, I love this scripture. In Acts 19, verse 37, there's this guy named Paul, and he's in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was the headquarters to the goddess Diana and the goddess Artemis. He is in the epicenter of the goddess Artemis. The temple to the goddess Artemis is still one of the eight wonders of the world today. And he's winning so many converts to Christ, they don't know what to do with him. And this is what Acts, they arrest him. And this is what Acts 19.37 says. The the, the judge in the court says something like this. I don't have it in front of me, but it says something like this. Why have you brought these men to me who have neither robbed our temples nor have they blasphemed our goddess? In other words, Paul is in the epicenter of the goddess Artemis, and he's building one of the greatest churches of all time, and he doesn't say one bad thing about Artemis. He simply lived a life in the name of God, and that in and of itself drew people to itself. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. We're called to demonstrate before we announce. To demonstrate. It's worth dying for. The the last thing I can find in the Bible in terms of a revelation of the name of God that didn't come before is in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 14. This is awesome. The writer Peter, he kind of gets this revelation about the name of God. This is so incredible. It says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the spirit of God and glory rest on you. So in other words, this is what he says. He says, you want to walk in the Spirit? Then you walk in that realm of awareness that Micah 4, 5 talked about. When you're in the realm of awareness of the name of God, then that is walking in the Spirit. That's when the Spirit of God and glory rest on you. You you want to be about glory? Fine. But but glory is not primarily gold and diamonds and angels and wind and trumpets and all that stuff. I'm all for all of it. I promise. Great. When God does that stuff fantastic. But if that kind of stuff is it, we've missed the point that the glory of God always comes back to a manifestation of the name, which is producing a group of people, is producing fruit that, that produces the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God. What good does it do to have a church of people covered in gold dust with diamonds in their shoes, seeing angels in the sky, and they walk out and be mean? No. No. That is not the point. The point of the Spirit of God and glory resting on you is that is that it produces something in your life of the name of God. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. I, the, the, next, the next verse in 1 Peter 4:14, 4, and then it goes into 15. It really doesn't have anything to do with it, but I'm putting it in for my own self because I just love the scripture. It says, Truly, according to them, he is blasphemed, but according to you he's glorified. First Peter 4:15. I love this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in the affairs of others. I love that. I love that. Just keep that up there for a second. Uh, This says busybody. I like that even better. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, busybody. Isn't that awesome? I mean, murderer, that's bad. Thief, bad. Evildoer, bad. But in the same list, he puts busybody. Listen, let me me help you for a second. You want to walk in a way that manifests the name of God? Let me give you the most common sense advice I could ever give you. Mind your own business. Listen, don't be meddling in the personal affairs of other people. Let me help you with something. If they wanted you, if they want you to know their personal life, let me let you in on something. They will tell you. And if they're not telling you, there's likely a really good reason why they're not telling you. And it's none of your business. I feel better already. This is like a big counseling session. If you're one of these people who waste time at home looking on the internet to find all the trash on all the preachers in the world. Stop. That is using the name of God in vain. We are called to something bigger and better. Don't be known to be a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody. Be known as someone who walks in the name of God and manifest it everywhere they go. So what's the conclusion matter? The conclusion matter is this. The untouchable name of God is actually placed on you. So God entrusts his reputation to people. Why? I have no idea. He entrusts his reputation to people, namely Christians who are carrying it. If you say you're a Christian, you're carrying the name of Christ. So wherever you go and whatever you do, God is present in your actions. One writer says it this way, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. So let me apply this with a few questions. And it's not my place to tell you where you are. It's only my place to ask questions and you work out your own salvation. How do you run your business? Are people seeing what God looks like in the way you run your business? Do you have integrity, compassion, humility, love? What kind of neighbor are you? How do you spend your money? If I looked at your checkbook, what would I see is important to you? Is it the things that are important to God? Or is it just to you? How do you give? Are you generous? How about this one? How do you handle stress and problems? Are you an angry, worried mess? Or are you showing people the profound trust in God Almighty? How about this one? Are you a forgiving person? Or do you excuse and rationalize a reason to hold a grudge? How do you talk to and treat your husband? How do you talk to and treat your wife? What kind of representation of God are you? Let me ask it this way. If you and your ideas were the only concept of God people had, what would they think of him? Would they think he's kind? Would they think he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love? Because that's what he is. Or would they think he's mean, judgmental, caustic, critical, cynical, a gossiper, someone who's insecure? What picture of God are you putting off on a day to day basis? Let me ask this question Is there any area in my life right now that is swearing and using the name of God in vain to the world around me? Let me read this last scripture to you. This is so awesome. John chapter 17, verse 6. This is Jesus' last big sort of prayer. And this is what he says in John 17, verse 6. Father, I have manifested your name to everyone you gave me out of this world. Father, I have manifested your name to everyone you gave me out of this world. I have manifested your name. In that same prayer later, this is what he said. Father, as you are in me and I am in you, let them be in us so that the world might believe. That your relationship with God is never about you and God. It's about you and God and everyone in your sphere of reference. Father, as you you are in me and I am in you, let them be in us so that the world might believe. This is about a group of people committed to showing the whole world what God looks like. And we will either carry the name of God in a way that manifests the hope that rests upon it, or we will carry the name of God in a way that disappoints it. That is using it in, in vain. There's unimaginable power in using the name of God properly. Because here's the truth listen to me very carefully. If I can misuse the name, then I can use it, I can live in it, I can live it out, I can heal. I can deliver, I can encourage, I can show generosity, I can feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the sick, bring encouragement to prisoners, I can give instruction, and if nothing else, if you're sitting there going, I can't do any of those things, listen to me, then you can be nice. Just be nice. Nice. I mean, is that is that just a heavy revelation or what? God has called Christians to be nice more than He has called us to be right. Can I get a hearty amen to that? Amen. My question is this: Is your life revealing the name or profaning it? Are you manifesting the name? Or are you profaning it? There's a story. I'm going to close this out with this story. I want you to pay very close attention to it. There's a story. It's an awesome story in the Bible. It's a guy named Jacob. And Jacob's a mama's boy. And Jacob had severe psychological issues because, first of all, his name was Liar. Which I think you could agree, if your parents called you that from birth, it would mess you up. Go to bed, liar. Get up, liar. Do your homework, liar. Come to dinner, liar. Do your chores, liar. It would be bad. But it even gets more complicated. It says that his father loved his brother more, and he knew it. And Jacob was trying to do anything he could do to sort of get his father's attention, and and he wanted his father's blessing, but the father's blessing belonged to Esau. But it says that his father was blind, and and he was laying there because he was old and blind and He's laying there and he says, um, Is that you? Is, is, is that you, Esau? And Jacob said, Yes, it's me, Dad. It's me, Esau. And he says, You sound like Jacob. He says, No, 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 Dad. It's me. It's Esau. Give me your blessing. Give me your blessing, Dad. Come on. He says, No, the, the blessing belongs to Esau. You sound like Jacob. And what Jacob had done is he had taken fur. It says that Esau was very hairy, but Jacob was fair skinned. So so he took fur and he wrapped it around his arms. And he said, no, no, dad, 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 feel my arm. Feel it. And, And so Isaac feels his arm and he says, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. So he gave him the blessing. Listen to me very carefully. You don't deserve anything from God. Everything you have is by the grace of God. When you go to God in yourself, in your own name, you don't get anything. But when you put on Christ, you sound like you, but you feel like him. And the Father gives you every blessing that belongs to Christ anyway. That's living in the name. One writer said it this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name name next line and forget not his benefits who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases why for he is the compassionate gracious slow to anger abounding in love and forgiveness god who does not treat us as our iniquities deserve but gives us mercy that's new every morning great is the faithfulness of god I bless you tonight to know that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in him. I bless you tonight to know that he's trusted you to carry his name. He's trusted you and me and all of us. And as a church, as a dwelling place, he's chosen us to carry his name. Carry it well. May you be manifestors of the name of God. And not just carriers of it. May you never carry the name in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. May we be people who carry the name that manifests the hope that rests upon it. I bless you tonight to understand that you can walk out of here tonight completely aware of the name of God. And if you do that, then you're walking in the spirit of Christ. For the spirit of Christ and glory dwells on you.